Hello, and welcome to Waterwatch, your weekly update in what's going on in the world of water. We'd like to acknowledge the Wiliakali people of the Barkindji Nation on which this radio show is being broadcast, and acknowledge the land and waterways of Australia always was and always will be Aboriginal. This is a mini boat ramp. Uh... 7th of January today. My name's Dan Schultz. And I'm Megan Williams. And we'll be your hosts this evening as we take another deep dive into the world of water. Welcome to the very first episode of Water Watch on 2Dry FM. So we're launching this new radio show to provide ongoing and regular coverage of issues in the Murray-Darling Basin from the perspective of far west New South Wales. Water policy, water management and politics is a complex beast. So for this first show, we're going to give you some background on ourselves, who we are, um, who Megan and I are, and some examples of our previous work, um, audio recordings, interviews with community members, and talk a little bit about why we want to do this and and what, um, what we hope you can get out of it. So firstly, what is Water Watch, Megan? Water Watch, I think of Water Watch as um, it's kind of a new voice in, in the water space. So we're on community radio and we're based in Broken Hill. And, you know, we're really speaking from the perspective of the far west. Um, so we'll get into this in a bit, but both um, Dan and I have been living out here for the better part of two or three years and over that time we've become really, really invested in what's happening in water, I suppose, and really interested. Um, And so we're really coming at it from this community perspective from far west New South Wales. And yeah, so we're going to be a weekly program and that's available on 2Try and I'm really excited about, about what it could be. Mm. And what what do you think the vision is from your perspective of, of where would you like to be at? Well, so our vision or my vision is that we can cover up on a whole range of issues affecting Australian waterways. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about will be directly relevant in the far west here on the Darling Barker. Um, you know, there's lots of hot button issues to cover you know right now floodplain harvesting is a big is a big issue um you know we've obviously got a new federal government and the murray darling basin plan is implemented over uh both state and federal levels and so that's a big change um after nine years uh under a coalition government uh potentially could be a big change it may not be a change at all really and so um yeah, I'm excited to flesh out a lot of what this means and, you know, take the time to regularly discuss it. And, yeah, like I, I want to say just at the get-go is that neither you or I are 
experts in this. We're just community people that have taken an interest over a couple of years. And we want to talk to people on the ground. We want to talk to community members um, to explain some of the policy, how the policy is playing out on the ground or how they see it playing out on the ground. Yeah. And I think to add that to that as well, in terms of the issue-based kind of news and current affairs is also a a celebration of water cultures um, and and kind of what cult, water cultures and, and having a relationship to waterways kind of offers for, you know, Australians, everyday Australians, and to look at the art and culture of waterways as well. So to make sure that part of that issue-based stuff is also looking at, um, you know, what the meaning of all this is, what it is that people are trying to protect or... or um, people are trying to maintain their relationship to um, in response to water insecurity and things like that to make sure we're appreciating the waterways that we have. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think also really central to our vision is that we want to look at common themes in other river systems and um, or differences. And um, yeah, what I'm excited about is to kind of take a small bite regularly and um, also to be an ongoing dialogue. So if you're one of those people who kind of wishes you understood more or didn't know where to start, you know, I want us to be a place that, you know, you can come and listen over time and feel like you're learning or growing and participating, you know, that we um, can take questions or take direction, feedback, um, complaints from, from our listeners and just be a space where we have where we make this an everyday and approachable issue rather than the complex beast that it can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, part of that is also making sure that we have a, um, a diversity of different kinds of voices in their community members, but also bringing in experts from different disciplines and, and bringing those into a relationship to it, with each other because they complement each other. You need to have... Um, on the ground experience but you, sometimes you need to rely on expertise um, in science economics and um, people who, who study a really particular part of, of water in order to uh, kind of flesh out ideas and and I think a, a dialogue between um, you know community members and experts is really important yeah and conversely to the you know us community members relying on that science so often that science and that policy needs to rely on the community members and it needs to to do that with open discourse and trust, which is maybe something that has been missing from the water space for a long time. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd really hope that we can hold this space where we can have those conversations. Yeah. And um, in, in terms of that, would, would you like to give some, some background on, on your experiences um, with water? Because you have had a, a, a few different roles in, in the water space over the last few years. So maybe you could tell, um, tell people about kind of what, what you've been up to. Yeah. So what are we now? 2022. I mean, I, I've been following it for the better part of five years. Um, my interest in the in the Murray Darling started 
through a position that I held at Friends of the Earth in Melbourne. So I grew up in Melbourne. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I didn't really know a whole lot at that time. Um, and, you know, the time I started getting, um, you know, following it more is kind of around this era of SDL, changes to the SDLs and disallowances over the SDLs. And What's this, the SDL? Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the sustainable diversion limit. So that's the amount of water that can be sustainably taken out of the system and used for other purposes. And it's a big number in the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. And it was a number that was adjusted in 2018. And um, yes, yeah, so that's kind of was when I entered, um, entered into the scene and started watching and you know, to be honest, was very overwhelmed. You know, it, it's very complicated. There is an alphabet soup of acronyms out there and new words. And, um, yeah, so that was me in 2018. Um, and I held that position at Friends of the Earth until the end of 2020. Um, start of start of last year, end of 2020, start of last year. And um, then last year I was working for uh, Slattery and Johnson, who are... They're kind of, they're really go-to people on policy. Um, Mary Ann Slattery and Bill Johnson are the directors of that company. And um, they do policy analysis and um, and they have a background in the public service. So they're very, very experienced in in the policy. Um, and they really yeah, have, have a great depth of understanding, you know, where different rules and the way the policy interacts with its, you know, with itself, um, because there's so many, so many parts of policy and parts that they were often involved in writing or, um, drafting or implementing or overseeing. And, um, yeah, so, so my background is, is that from the environmental perspective and then, um, working in a sort of digital comms role, um, supporting these policy experts, um, and, yeah, and now now I'm a I'm a far west local. I mean, I don't know if I count as local yet, but um, I live, you know, I live, I've lived out here. Really, it was 2020. Um, I lived out here for a few months, um, mostly at Tolano Station out in Minindi, um, and now I live in Broken Hill, um, where I'm. Yeah, really enjoying being in the far west. Yeah. And, uh, and what about you, Dan? Um, well, I came out in uh, late 2019 um, and lived in an for a year and a half with a, with a friend and colleague of mine. And we, made, we, we attempted to make a, a documentary film about um, what had happened to the Darling over the last 10, 20 years. Um, and and that, that culmination in, in sort of incremental dewatering process resulting in the Menindee fish kills, sort of trying to unpack sort of what happened there through film. Um, and we sort of had a go at that. Um, but I think I kind of quickly realised that it was a little bit more complex than what could be kind of captured just through film. Um, and I really wanted time and space to be able to uh, understand a sort of deeper history of these water issues. Um, and the way I decided to do that was to uh, apply to do a scholarship, uh, to do a PhD with, at the ANU Crawford School of Public Policy, um, which I managed to get. So I got thrown in the deep end of, 
of trying to um, work with a bunch of very, very great scientists, um, hydrologists and economists kind of working on sort of water policy in the Murray-Darling Basin. Um, so I'm with a group called the Water Justice Hub um, and they kind of look at uh, from a perspective of, of water for all. So looking at sort of how water is distributed amongst different groups um, and that is distributed unfairly a lot of the time. Um, and so kind of looking at processes, policy processes that might be able to more fairly distribute water resources um, across the Murray-Darling Basin and beyond. Um, they also work on other river systems. And I was kind of very interested in how these issues in the Murray-Darling Basin are global. Um, that was a really a big moment for me where I realised that the, the story of the Murray-Darling Basin and even the story of the, the Barker or the Darling is not unique. It has its own unique aspects, but it's also connected to stories of other rivers that are that are kind of suffering from the same same issues. Mm. And so I'm going through that process um, now, which is a I wouldn't recommend doing a PhD to anybody. I think it's a it's more of a problem than it is a solution. But it's 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 thrown me in the deep end in trying to understand a lot of this stuff. And I'm 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 excited about. The Water Watch program because it, it allows me to follow kind of more contemporary politics when a lot of times my head is in in historical documents trying to understand uh, history of this thing. Um, so I, I think both is really important to follow contemporary issues and also kind of be be unpacking it from a historical perspective. Yeah, and full disclosure, we are friends and housemates. Um, so, just for our listeners out there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've sort of we've sort of relied on each other's knowledge and and friendship in the water space for for a while. Um, definitely, always talking about it and trying to unpack what's going on with each other. So, and I think that makes for a, a good radio radio show, actually. So, I hope so. I hope so. You know, like definitely unpacking it with you and kind of working it out, having a friend to sit down and work it out and bounce ideas off is incredibly helpful. Um, and, you know, my hope for some of our listeners would be that, you know, you can feel like you're our friend doing it with us. So not that we're holding this position of, you know, researchers and experts, but that, you know, we're kind of working out this beast and finding the right people to talk to to work those things out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely we're all in this together in some way. Um, maybe in other ways not, but de definitely kind of on this journey together, um, trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. So, anything else before? Because we're going to play a few clips of some some um, recordings we've done. Um, so is there anything else to add before we kind of move on to that? No, I was just going to say, so on this, on this journey, um, we have... Uh, you know, interviewed a lot of the community. Um, I guess what I didn't say was my background in radio. I said my background in in the water policy, but I'm a producer for Earth Matters and you uh, have done a lot of film out here. And Yeah, so we've got a few clips um, of examples of our work um, to play you for the rest of the episode. So, Yeah, so the first clip we're going to play um, was done in early 2020. Um, while there was a process of extracting um, Murray cod out of um, the Menindi, um, the river at Menindi, and putting them into the Menindi Weir pool, and this was to sort of ensure that those cod 
um, didn't die during that cease to flow event um, that was 2019 and 2020. Um, and the clip I have is uh, uh, an interview with um, Dr. Paul Sinclair, who wrote a book um, called The Murray River and Its People, and he's done a lot of thinking about the importance of the Murray Cod as a, as a species um, and, and the kind of relationships that, that we have with that species. And there's a few clips in there of some of the fish rescue volunteers at that time kind of talking about um, their own relationship with the cod. Um, and I think this is, this is important to me because um, our relationships with animals and different species is, is really important. And uh, for a species such as Murray cod that's endangered um, and has had a very steep decline in the last 100 years in its abundance, um, I think it's worth remembering sort of the value and importance to our lives as as humans um, of these species and, and the importance of protecting them. So here's uh, Dr. Paul Sinclair talking about Murray Cod. Murray Cod are one of those key things that people are connected to, that they build, that they create relationships with. And it's not just a relationship of catch and kill. There's a whole uh, other set of storytelling that often is built around the fish. It's a species that is uniquely Australian, right? You don't have a Murray Cod in the Thames or the Colorado or the Ganges. It's, it's ours. It's Australian. It's important litmus test, not just of the biophysical health of the river system, but also, I think, for its, um, its cultural health. From where I grew up in Kerrang, there used to be trainloads of Murray cod and other native fish shipped down to the Melbourne markets each day. Like, people thought the river system was so abundant that you couldn't kill it. It was like the magic pudding. You could eat as much as you want, you turn around and then it's full again. And so that people, people didn't believe that, I don't think people believe that they could do enough damage to the river system to seriously erode the abundance of the native animals that was, were in the river system. And obviously that was an ignorant thing to think. What I like about it, you ready, set, go? Yeah. Yeah, I just think they're great as a kid. You just chased them for so long and now, you know, they're all gonna die and they're just big, gray, sleepy, soft, beautiful creatures. And you just gotta save them and it's good fun. The Murray Cod sit at the heart of a whole lot of ecological and cultural connections to our land. And when you lose those connections, you also lose that culture. And I think that that's, that's just too important to let with by. People get used to degradation, which means you have only a certain window of opportunity to make change because after a period of time, people say, the completely clapped out environment, they say, oh, that's what I grew up with, that's what I know, that's the environment, right? We need to be honest about what we've done to our country and what we've lost, but we also need to be 
honest about what we still have and need to take action to care for, that we need to become stewards of our country. We need to be connected to our country. We need to love our country and love the species that help shape us for who we are. to drive in. So uh, we're fast running out of time, um, but I've also got a little clip, which, you know, this maybe, you know, we've set the scene here in 2020 when the river was perhaps in its most dire state um, in history. Um, and the interview that I've got for you today is one that I only did a couple weeks ago. It's with Menindee resident Graham McCrabb, um, and it was played on uh, uh, on the community radio network uh, in my Earth Matters program. And uh, yeah, it, it's he's really talking about uh, the all the water that's coming down the system at the moment. So um, yeah, we flash forward from 2020 till now. We've got full lakes. We've got um, you know, we're in a really wet cycle, two years of La Nina, um, you know, plenty of flows going down the river, there's water down the Anna branch and, um, yeah, so this piece is really contrasting to, to the one we've just played because, you know, a lot can change in a couple of years. So yeah, let's take a listen. How's the river looking? Yeah, it looks awesome at the moment. So, uh, I uh, didn't actually look this morning, but we must be about 16,500 megs a day going down the river, so about a gig and a half off where it got to last time. So there's been a fair bit of rain over the la- over the last 12 months, but specifically in the last week or so. Um, do you know how much water's coming down? No, and I think that's one of the big problems with the whole system, isn't it? We Really, uh, New South Wales won't genuinely start to react to that water until it crosses the border, and that's, uh, it's a really difficult one to... To estimate for for everyone, there's no doubt, not just the authorities, but it, yeah, it's a pretty sad state in 2022, and you know, nine, ten billion dollars spent, and we can't calculate how much water is going to arrive at Menindi. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's one of the big missing gaps, isn't it? Mm. You kind of you say that there's no room in the lakes. What do you anticipate happening um, as that sort of unknown volume of water comes down? Oh, I can see what's happening here in town now. There was some preemptive works done um, prior to the last event, you know, around December, January, but uh, certainly there's a lot more 
Uh, vigor and approach to actually getting levy banks and stuff in place. No point putting a levy bank in sort of a week out or two weeks out. It just doesn't have time to compact and 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 uh, and build a structure, I suppose, or hold a structure. So certainly a lot more talk at this stage um, with the unknown. And uh, I haven't been here for a major flood, so I can't really comment from a personal point of view. The people that have been here a long time have certainly seen that the signs. I think the current weather pattern, the last two times we had this weather pattern was 74 and 56, which were massive floods in the... In, in our system and the bottom end of the Murray. And um, uh, certainly when you look at the 45-day the rainfall forecast, which is, you know, I know that's loose and it's going to change a lot, but there's some significant rain in that, which um, – and, and everything's wet. You look at the Kalgoa as a simple example. That that floodplains had 20,000-plus uh, metres a day flying across the border for, you know, three, four weeks now. Uh, any rainfall in there, instead of that going out to the billabongs and not coming back to the river, that that, that area is now a catchment area and feeding water back in. So uh, you could see some significant volumes coming on what's coming now, plus what's at Surat and coming through St George in the, in the weeks to come. So another big rainfall event on top of that. And uh, it'll be interesting to interesting to see where it ends up. Yeah, so do you think the town of Indy might get flooded? Oh, no doubt. I, I couldn't think there's any doubt about that at this stage with the the forecasts that are, that are predicted. So, and, and I suppose that's one of the conversations. Um, so that was uh, Megan Williams talking to Graham McCrab about uh, yeah, about the floodwaters that's on the way. Well, they're here. You know, uh, there's a few pictures popping around online at the moment of uh, the boat ramp totally flooded and that uh, the picnic shelter. On what's that park called where the boat Crick Park in Crick Park, yeah, it's that there's picnic table underwater there. Yeah, yeah, the fish cleaning bay is fairly well underwater. Yeah, there, and yeah. what what I like about um, just that little clip from Graham is it speaks to how large and interconnected the system is. You know, the Colgoa, the upcome water coming down from St George from Queensland. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so over the next few weeks, um, we've got a fairly loose plan about what we're going to cover. Um, and one of the, the key things next week is um, uh, the Department of Primary Industry and Environment's um, draft amendments to the Bar and Darling Water Sharing Plan, which is currently, uh, public comment is currently being sought on these proposed amendments. Um, through, with these amendments, they are licensing floodplain harvesting, so they're really important. Um, and, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll be going into what is a water sharing plan and what are the proposed amendments and what are some of the feedback and, and critiques of those amendments. And, and if that means nothing to you, then make sure you tune in because yeah, we want to make this approachable. You know, it's it really is just a whole nother language when you when you're starting at square one um and yeah we we want to kind of cover off on you know what that means and how how everyday people can get involved and give feedback or have their concerns heard and so so next week there is a public information session given by dpie it will be on wednesday the 15th of june so that's next wednesday at the menindi civic hall uh, which is 30 yarla street what time uh, 10 till uh, midday, I think they're doing 10 a.m. till midday. They'll be presenting some information about the Western Regional Water Strategy. Um, and then um, the one that I'm kind of interested in a little bit more is the amendments to the Bowen Darling Water Sharing Plan, 
which will be commencing at 1 till 3. Um, that's uh, in Menindee. There are some other um, sessions in Walgett and Burke. Um, Walgett is on Tuesday the 28th of June and Burke is on Thursday the 30th of June. Um, so if you're if you're in those areas or you want to come down to Menindee for a public information session about those amendments, then um, yeah, that those are those are open sessions to community. And there is information about all of this on the government website, which we maybe will tweet it um, if you're interested in having a read. Um, so we have launched a Twitter account for Waterwatch. It's at Waterwatch Radio. And we also have an email account, which, um, you know, if you've got thoughts, feedback, questions, ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Um, that is waterwatchradio at gmail.com. And you can also message us on the Two Dry Facebook page. Um, and so there's lots of ways to get in touch. And, I mean, I shared uh, a post in um, in a Facebook group, uh, community group out here. Um, the Broken Hill and Menindee Lakes We Want Action group. I shared our um, shared this upcoming show in there, and we already had some feedback about water trading and a few other things. So, thank you uh, for the people who are already talking to us. Know that we are taking note of all the things that get raised, and we, you know, it's going to be a small bite every time. But it, we do want to kind of cover off on all those things that people are interested in and want to understand more. So, thank you, and contact us on Twitter or or Gmail. Yeah, thank you, Megan. And um, I look forward to going on this journey with our listeners and yourself. We'll see you next time. See you.